Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 28. And for those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, we want to welcome you. Can we welcome our Facebook Live audience, family, if you can... Hallelujah. We're so excited. Pray that this message changes and impacts you, blesses you, and encourages you in your walk with the Lord. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 28. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. And it says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, everybody say Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old and was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Ziphath, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, meaning a bad report of his brothers. He was being a tattletale. He brought a bad report to his father. Now Israel, or Jacob, another word for Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his children Because he was the son of his old age, and he also made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And so he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheep arose And also stood upright, and indeed your sheep stood up all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to him, you shall indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed still another dream. Somebody say he was a dreamer. And still he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. But this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And so he told his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your 11 brothers come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, now your brothers are feeding the flock in Shechem. Come, will you send? I will send you to them. And then he said to, them, said to him, here am I. Then he said, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and see how it's going with the flocks and bring back word to me. And so he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? And so he said, I am seeking my brothers. Tell me where they are feeding the flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And so when Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan, now when he saw him from afar off, they came, they, excuse me, they seen him from afar off. Even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come here, therefore. Let us now kill him and cast him into a pit. 
and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what shall become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, which is his oldest brother, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver them out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him that his dad gave him. And then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal and they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry him down to Egypt to be sold. Now Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come now and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. The Midianite traders passed by so the brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took him to Egypt. You may have your seats. When I think about an amazing story other than the life of Jesus, I think Joseph's in the book of Genesis, described in Genesis, is probably my favorite story of them all. It's a story of both trial and victory. Very much so, Joseph's life parallels that of Jesus. Jesus was sold by his brethren, the church, and was betrayed. So was Joseph. Joseph was, excuse me, Jesus was sold for 30 shekels of silver and as you see, Joseph was sold. And Jesus was betrayed by his own. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. So you, you have all these little parallels. Jesus would become the savior of the world through the pit that he was thrown in, meaning hell. He took keys from the devil. He went to hell. Does everybody know that? Jesus went down to hell and took the keys from the devil. Well, when Joseph was thrown in this pit. That was like a, a type and shadow of the same thing that Jesus went through. And Joseph would one day be used to save his family when a famine would soon hit, if you read the story of Joseph. So a lot of parallels there. A very, very encouraging story. And one of the most encouraging things to me in this particular story is that it doesn't seem, at least in the scriptures, that Joseph ever lost character. I'm sure he had his moments. I mean, can you imagine... Um, being the one who's really loved by your father, loved by your mother, and yet betrayed by your own siblings. I'm sure there was times that Joseph, when he was in that pit or when he would end up eventually going to prison, I don't want to go through the whole story, but Joseph, his early life was met with bliss. He wasn't in want. I mean, his father gave him everything. The, the, the Bible kind of depicts Joseph as a spoiled brat, really. I mean, he got everything. His brothers hated him. As you see, he didn't have to go take care of the flocks his brothers did. Joseph got to stay at home and take care of the house, and he was kind of a mama's boy like me. And so his brothers hated him for that. 
But after 17 years old, Joseph is met with not peaks and valleys, but trial after trial after trial, a lot of hardship, a lot of pain, a lot of issues that he would face. And I wonder if there were moments in time where God's presence seemed to be absent from Joseph's life. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, because I believe that where we are as a nation, and I, and I know several different individuals who love the Lord and cannot see God's hand in their situation. I believe that there are many Christians, many, many prophets, many well-meaning prophets, prophetic voices, very well-known ministers who are out there today who, who love the Lord but are disillusioned by what's happening in America. And so I believe that this message will both touch the person who's maybe as, a, you know, as it relates to them being a minister and maybe not seeing what we believed God would do, while also it may, I pray that it touches your individual lives. Amen? I want to minister from a subject this morning called, when pain seems greater than his presence. Somebody say, when pain seems greater than his presence. And, and, and as I followed the life of Joseph, there are certain principles that I believe he applied to his life to survive that season that he was in. The Bible talks about it, and I won't read it, nor will I go there, but there was a 13-year difference. How many know that Joseph would eventually become a savior in Egypt? He would be put in second of command under the Pharaoh or the king of that day. He would, he would, the Pharaoh would have a dream. Joseph would eventually interpret it, and he would be put in second in charge, and he would be, he would be the ambassador of Egypt. Somebody say the second in command. It would be a 13-year process that Joseph would go through before he would be promoted. Joseph would be met with trial after trial after trial. But there's certain things that Joseph did to survive this season of heartache and pain. And one of those things that I, as I read over and over, is Joseph remembered the Lord. He remembered his early childhood. He remembered what God did in the past so that he could survive his present situation. And you know that's what we have to do at times when we're going through afflictions, when we're going through seasons of transitions, when we're going through seasons of sickness, when we're going through seasons of hardship maybe in our marriages. We have to remember who God has been in our lives and the things that he's delivered us from. Come on, I wish somebody would believe that with me this morning. Because pain has a way of causing you to forget how good God was in the past. And that when we're in those seasons of hardship, when we can't trace God's hand, you have to remember the God that he used to be in your life. And that that's what Joseph did because he's seen everything that he went through as a strategic move on God's chess game to put him in the position of pain, but ultimately it would be the very thing that would promote Joseph into being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Pain is a promoter. Everybody say pain is a promoter. It's a, it's a promoter, but listen, pain is not just a promoter, it's a deceiver. Pain is a deceiver. And if you're not careful, your pain will shout louder than, 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 your, than your promises that God has given you, if you're not careful. And so loud that you will forget how God used to be. In your seasons of pain, isn't it funny how you can come out of a season of great bliss, 
you, your, your bills are paid, your marriage is intact, school is going fine, you've kept your job for a year, you have a little bit of money in your bank account, and then the, the bottom drops out from underneath you, you have a bad breakup or something happens or the nation starts shaking, and then you begin to forget how God used to be in your life. And when you're in seasons like we are in our nation, in our, in our personal lives, it is imperative, imperative that we remember the God who is good the God who still provides, come on. The God who still makes ways where there seems to be no way. And when I think about Joseph's background, what I love about this story is that this was a man who experienced a lot as a young man. And I, and I, I very much so relate to that. You know, my early upbringing, I lost my father. He was murdered when I was nine years old. Joseph had been gone, he had gone through hardship after hardship after hardship. He was ostracized by his own family. He was despised by his own brethren, his brothers. He was thrown in a pit. How many know he was sold? How many know he was sold on a slave block? He was sold into slavery. He was lied on for doing the right thing and having integrity. Have you ever paid a high price even when you've done the right thing? Do you know what the Bible says? It says, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Actually, when you suffer, it's actually a sign that you may be doing the right thing. The church, I can't get no amen in the church this morning. Sometimes when you go through hardship and pain, it is a sign that the enemy is fighting you for a reason. It is a sign that you are on track. When you come to an end in a friendship, because you can no longer get along with someone because of their moral lifestyle. Now, I believe in being like Jesus and loving people through it. But sometimes it's a sign that you've outgrown, come on, sometimes it's a sign you've outgrown people who decide to live at a lower level. Amen? And, and that, is a, that, is a, that is a type of persecution. I don't get invited, invited to parties no more, like I told you last week. They don't invite me. I lost a whole lot of friends. I've had people pick up a beer in front of me and they say, I can't even drink in front of you. I feel convicted. I'm not saying that you're, 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 you're you, you, the Bible talks about having a glass of wine, having this or that, but I, I believe you guys all know my stance on that. I've preached it many, many times. But sometimes your morality and your biblical standards will actually deliver you from toxic relationships. I can't tell you how many ministers, I can't tell you personally how many ministers, and, I, and I, I love God's people, don't get me wrong, I'm not here to bash ministers, but I can't tell you how many ministers, it's not that I disagree with them, but some of them, I, I, I cannot, I'm just looking at everybody's looking at me like, what's he going to say? I'm all stuttering, I'm like, well, should I say it, Lord? I see some of you say, preach it. I've heard, of, I've heard of worship teams, and this will not be our worship team and is definitely not. I've heard of worship teams going on these writing retreats and just having a party and drinking their alcohol. How are you going to hear from heaven? Oh, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about moral living no more. <laughs> Look at these. They're getting all excited. Don't get me started. God will not fill vessels. 
He will not fill vessels. Always remember this. Sanctification. This, this is what William J. Seymour preached. This was his theology. He, it was his, his theology was born out of Pentecostalism. It's known as the Azusa Street Revival. He truly believed that sanctification precedes the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's just, a, that's just kind of like a theological way to say you have to get right with God before you get filled with God. Amen. And we, I, I am concerned for where the church is morally where it's compromised. We talk about the glory of God. Do you know why we have to create these fog lights and we have to create these engineered ways to make God look like he's moving or have really cool worship sets? And I'm, I'm not against lights and I'm not against even fog. But what I am saying is, is if you call a worship experience and getting people excited, the Holy Ghost, then we have a really messed up theology. And the reason we have to engineer it because most of us, can I say it? Most of us don't live a moral life, and, and be, we, we do not live positionally with God in a way that whereby we can be a conduit, conduit for God to move. If we want to see God move, we have to position ourselves for him to move. We cannot live like the devil and ask for revival. We cannot live immorally in a relationship and in a marriage and ask God to bless it. We cannot ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us to be a city on a hill and be putting toxins and putting certain drugs in our body, God, his sanctifying power must precede the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So if we want the Holy Spirit, we have to live holy. Holy. Skinny jeans live holy. You can wear skinny jeans and live holy. You know that? Say amen, Dean. He said he'd have to put butter on just to get them off. I'm just playing. Come on, how many know we can laugh and have a good time in the Lord's presence? So in spite of his painful experiences, Joseph never forgot God's goodness in the past or his promises that the Lord had made to him for his future. America, don't forget. People of God, saints, don't forget what God did in your past. Don't allow your circumstances, don't allow your current pain to be so loud that you forget what God promised you. Don't forget. Look at somebody and say, don't forget. I love Psalm 77. Listen to what it says. Psalm 77, verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Joseph never forgot his dreams in that 13-year period of his pain and his heartache and his rejection and his imprisonment. He never forgot. And when you're in a season of pain, when you're in a season of confusion, when you're in a season of transition, you have to remember how God worked in your life in the past. Remember what he delivered you from. Remember how he set you free. Remember the encounter that you had with him. Remember when he was a friend that stuck closer than a brother when you had nobody else. Remember in that marriage difficulty. Remember how God met you guys and brought you back together. Remember how God parted Red Seas in your life, spiritually speaking. Remember how he was a cloud by day and a fire by night. 
Remember how he made water out of a rock. Remember how he parted the way and made ways where there seemed to be no way. Remember how he multiplied your five loaves and two fish and couldn't pay your bills. Remember how you're, you were almost in bankruptcy or maybe you were in bankruptcy and the blessing was that he didn't allow your company to tank. Remember, remember that you've taken so many drugs and you should be dead by now, but by the grace of God, he's kept you alive and brought you to this service and given you another chance. Remember, he was a doctor in the sick room when you were having stints put in your heart. Remember that you beat cancer once and you're gonna beat it again, mom. Remember that God is a God of miracles. Remember, look at somebody and say, remember, remember. The Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning. I get up really early. I tell you guys all the time. I got up really early this morning, 4 a.m., and here's what the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Angelique. He said, remember what I said to you in the light so that you have something to carry with you in the dark. You have to remember. Joseph remembered. Say, remember. Secondly, he encouraged himself. He encouraged himself. I hear a lot of people, and a lot of people come to me, and I don't want to make this about me by any stretch, but there are times I need encouragement. But you know what I've learned? To encourage myself. See, I came from gospel church. Y'all have to be careful, especially you guys on the second row. I'm liable to leap over the row. Sometimes you have to go. When you, sometimes, sometimes you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And nobody ex, is exempt from discouragement. Nobody. From the pulpit to the pew. Discouragement will one day knock on your door. And, and there will be times in that emergency when your friend may not answer the phone. There may be times that you call your bro or you call a friend and they may not answer. In those times when you need people the most, you have to get this thing that David had when he said, I encouraged myself in the Lord. Sometimes you have to gird up your own loins. Sometimes you have to pray for yourself. Can I tell you something? Nobody can pray for you like you. Encourage yourself. I ask people to pray for me sometimes, but the reality is, is they don't, they're not intricately acquainted with my circumstance like I am. And I am the best, I am my best prayer warrior. Come on. You are your best, best prayer warrior. You are your best prayer warrior. Come on. Look at somebody and say, I'm my best prayer warrior. Hallelujah. I don't know what y'all are laughing about, but. So when I think about this story of Joseph, I think about a boy who went from a pit to a palace. We think about these two extremes. We think about this valley low and this mountain high experience. However, as I mentioned before, there was 13 years of process, Angelique. Can you believe that? 13 years. When, it, when I look at his lifestyle, I'm seeing God preserve him in the midst of a difficult situation. Sometimes that is the miracle. Sometimes it's a miracle. You're a miracle sitting here. Come on, somebody say amen. Look at somebody and say, you're a miracle. I know some of you situations and the fact that God has kept you from losing your mind is a sign that Jesus is still on the throne. Hallelujah. 
But here's the thing. Joseph had nobody there to encourage him. Can you think about it? His brothers rejected him. He was sold into slavery. And Joseph didn't have a church family like you do. He didn't have an app. He didn't have WhatsApp or a group to text and say, pray for me. He didn't have iTunes. He didn't put Maverick City music on to encourage himself. Come on, he, who, did, who encouraged him? Himself. He didn't have Instagram or he couldn't, he wasn't inundated with all these little spiritual quotes that he can, he can scroll through just to encourage himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And there are times and seasons that we will go through where we have to encourage ourselves. Somebody say, I'm going to encourage myself. Like Martin Luther King, the only thing that Joseph had to encourage himself was a dream. All those years, think about it, because the Bible records no other experience that he went through that would validate the fact that God was with him, other than he did bless Joseph. So that is telling me that the Lord spoke to Joseph really one or two times through those dreams, and he held on to that dream in that season of darkness. Amen? And that dream sustained him for 13 years. Maybe you're going through a difficult situation right now. Maybe you're going through transition. Maybe you're going through a marital difficulty. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you don't know what your next step is. Can, can I encourage you? Maybe you're going through a sickness. Maybe you're going through separation. I don't know your situation intricately. Maybe you have an addiction. But can I tell you, wherever you, God had spoke to you, wherever you've had that dream, wherever you got that word, wherever you got that prophetic word, whatever it is, Hold on to it with your dear life. It will sustain you when it seems like his presence is not with you. Somebody say, hold on to the dream. And if you want to stay encouraged, can I encourage you? Not to put on CNN to get your encouragement. Can I, can I, can I talk about it just for, just for a moment? Come on, feeding things that... That build, feed on things in this season of your life that feed your faith, not diminish it. I wish there would be a louder amen than that. Amen. Listen, I'm not, staying, I'm not saying by any stretch, stick your head into the sand, but don't stick it into the devil's den either. Amen. <laughs> okay. Be careful what you give your ear to. My wife and I have intentionally, I'm not demonizing TV. I like a good movie here and there, as long as it's PG. Look at some of you. But we are, we, 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 my wife and I are very careful with what we feed our spirit. If you're dealing with stress and you're dealing with fear and you're dealing with worry about what's happening in the nation, listen, I'm, I'm not bashing anyone here. I think we've all fallen into that trap to some degree or another, but how you feel, God put this barometer in us. If you feel stressed and worried, there's a scripture that says this, whoever keeps his mind on me, meaning Jesus, keep your, say, somebody say, keep your mind on the Lord. When we are stressed, when we feel fear, when we are worried, all it is, it's a sign that you've been putting stuff in your spirit, man, that doesn't, that doesn't feed your faith. So if you're afraid of what's happening, it's not that you, there's a difference between being concerned and being worried. 
For the child of God, you know what the scripture says? Look up for your redemption draws nigh. When you read the scripture, if you just turn to the book of Revelations, if you've never read the book, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you just a, a little shortcut. If you read the end of the book, Revelation, guess what? You win. You will be standing. You're getting caught up. And God is coming back for his church. Amen? So, so don't allow what's happening. Don't allow the news, MSNBC, CNN, be your faith builder. Allow the word of God to be that. Come on, allow your friends, your Christian friends, the people you're fellowshipping with, be the instrument that brings encouragement to your spiritual life. Amen? You know what I've been doing? I, I can't be in fear in this season. It just, I just, I, I can't. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why. I've been looking up different revivals, and I've been studying I've been, if you can study, you really can't study God, but you, you, but there's a pattern to him, James. God has a pattern. Somebody say God has a pattern. There is a pattern to God's methodology and he's not a Methodist, but there is a method to him. And, and so as I've been studying revivals, as I've been studying great spiritual awakenings, you, you know what preceded those? World wars, economic collapse, Pandemics. Oh, you guys thought COVID was the only pandemic that the United States had ever seen? We've seen some global pandemics, the Great Depression, civil wars. But you know what I've been doing? So I study these revivals, and guess, guess what succeeded those troubling times? Great revivals were birthed out of those. Let's talk about a few of them. In 1857, I just learned of this revival. Any of you who know me and have heard me minister, you kind of hear this underlying theme of revival. Revival simply means when the heart is awakened to the things of God. That's really what that is. A revival is not just one moment in time, although it can be. Revival is generally a jump starter in the heart of the believer. And there are times when God will divinely and sovereignly, meaning whenever he wants, steps into a generation and kind of puts a spiritual defibrillator on a person's heart, spiritually speaking, and jumpstarts them and they get <gasps> reawakened. Does that make sense? That's a revival. Do you know you can live in a sustained revival? You just have to feed, you know, your fire logs. That's all you really have to do. Amen? But there were some, there were some amazing revivals that I studied. I even was looking this one up this morning and I never knew about this revival, honey. This will bless you. In 1857, believe it or not, in Brooklyn, New York. Anybody from New York in this place? Oh, I believe my mother is too. Oh, yep, she's definitely a New Yorker. My mother is also from, from Tupper Lake, yeah, in New York. But there was, in 1857, there was a revival called the Fulton Street Revival in Brooklyn, New York. Now, this was a lay Christian. He was a businessman who started a prayer movement. And he's, he passed out all of his flyers and asked people to come to this prayer movement. And guess how many people showed up? One. But the next week, six. The next week, 20. And then the next week, 40. And then for the next several weeks, over 10,000 people per week would give their lives to Jesus Christ in 1857. Just because one man decided to pray and hold a prayer meeting. And for the next several years, 10,000 people a week 
were recorded, there was recorded salvations. We're not talking about guesstimated numbers. So, so the overall number of salvations that were recorded are one million salvations in Brooklyn, New York. 50,000 people would come to these prayer meetings during the week. And it was every week there was a prayer meeting. Don't tell me God can't do it again because if he did it before, he can do it again. I'm talking about God's pattern. There's a pattern to him. There's a pattern. There's a pattern. In 1904 through 1905, of course, you all know the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts, a story of a young man who laughingly got around his friend because of a hunger and a desire to see God move in his city in Europe. And he said, Lord, give me 100,000 souls. It was in a coal miner city. This city got so rocked and so shaken, they were coal miners. So the coal miners would get saved before they would even get to the building. And so these coal miners used mules. But the way that these gentlemen would talk in Wales, they would curse at these mules, right? And the, the mules got so used to them cursing that you know, they would get the work done. And so when these guys got saved, they actually had to order all new mules because they didn't understand them because they were talking like they were saved. They no longer cursed. It literally changed the spiritual climate of that region. Isn't that amazing? Thousands of souls. And here was the beauty of it for me because I am a shy person. I know that's hard to believe. I, I am a shy, I'm a very shy person. My wife will tell you when she wants to go get together at, at a friend's birthday party, I'm generally, I have to, for, I'm, I'm an introvert who's forced to be an extrovert. I am socially awkward. Am I socially awkward, honey? Raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. She said, sometimes. I can be a little socially awkward, but I feel at home up here. That's why you see that. I, I, I'm at home when I'm behind the scriptures. But, but thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people would come to these meetings, and he wouldn't say a word. He would hide behind the pulpit this great man of God, Evan Roberts. And they would come in and they said that the service would go on for three hours and people would cry out and just give their life to the Lord without anybody giving an altar call. They would come to the doors and they would sense the glory and the presence of God and people would bow down and give their hearts to the Lord. I believe those days are coming once again. If we will contend for the glory of God, if we will contend for revival, if we will beckon God, you know where I've seen God move? Is, is when there's a company of people who get desperate for more than just church. If people get desperate for more of his presence, I, I fear that what we have made church is a place where people can come and receive encouragement. But, but you know, the, the church is supposed to be a place of worship, a place of prayer. In other words, we come to receive something. But you know what the old church was? The old church got together to give something to give him glory, to give him worship, to give him our lives. And of course, that was in 1904 through 1905, and immediately thereafter, 1906, my favorite historic revival, and arguably the most, how should I say, not just the most historic revival, but the most critical revival that would ever take place, and that was called the Azusa Street Revival. The address was 312 Azusa Street. This was during the Jim Crow law. My favorite minister in all of history was a man by the name of William Seymour. He was a one-eyed African-American man. 
And he, he got this idea. He read the book of Acts and he read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so him and a company of about six gentlemen pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. The long story short is, is that this revival lasted from 1906 to about 1915. And every single day, the place was packed. And if there are six million people from around the world that can trace their spiritual roots back to this little, little old fine wine and spirits facility. It, was, it looked like it was sawdust on the floor. They said there wasn't even a pulpit. They couldn't even afford a pulpit. There was a crate. And he would, put in this, he would put his head in this crate and he would pray, but people would walk in. People who had limbs missing would, I know this sounds crazy, but it's in the Bible. Their limbs would grow out. People who were sick and on their deathbed, they would come and they would get healed. And service after service, it was a 24-hour service this old African-American man by the name of William J. Seymour hosted God's presence and God moved in an extraordinary way and changed the spiritual climate in all of the United States and it even stretched to Africa and all around the world. And lastly, and of course, my second favorite, one I have a personal connection with when 1995 through 2005 was the Brownsville Revival where over four million people were touched. Four million people were transformed. For those of you who don't know my connection with the Brownsville Revival, when I started this church, I grew up just kind of, I don't want to say I grew up, but when I had got saved, I got really used to just service and, you know, three worship songs and a sermon, super impactful. Um, and certainly I grew and I, and I, and I changed and, and the Lord used that for a season to, 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 to grow me and mature me in my walk with him. But at some point, I, I begin to grow desperate. And I think that's what needs to happen, I think, for the church and for us, is we need to come to a point where we say, God, there has to be more. There has to be more than just this. And that's exactly what happened at the Brownsville Revival Church. Well, I took my staff over a year and a half ago to this old facility. There was footage of this sanctuary filling up with 2,500 people in under one minute. Just people flocking to this place. And you would see these news broadcasters interviewing people standing out on there. They would have tents outside just to get there early in the morning. There was services five nights a week. Well, the short story is, is the Lord told me to go to the anniversary. It was the 25th anniversary and they were holding it at a big stadium. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I don't like to drive and I'm a bit of a homebody. I have a family. But I reluctantly went. I felt like the Lord had something. So I brought staff and I brought one of my brothers. And um, as I'm about to leave the conference and head home on a Saturday morning to be home to minister for Sunday morning, it's a seven-hour drive. We're standing outside the facility and my very good friend, Joel, who's uh, behind the computer in the back there. Uh, we go to the facility and Joel sees that the front door is open, but it's 7-something a.m. in the morning. And we were just going to walk the grounds and just remembering what the Lord did and just ask the Lord to do it again. You know, Lord, do it again in ascension. Lord, do it again in the world and just make ourselves available and just pray as, as brothers, just in agreement. Well, Joel sees the front door is open at 7 a.m. in the morning. And if anybody knows church on Saturday morning at 7 something a.m. in the morning, there's nobody at church. Well, this door is propped open. And he says, pastor, you got to get over here. The door is open. And there's no cars, not one, in the parking lot. And I open the door, and I walk inside. 
And we walk in those, it wasn't a Baptist church, it's, a, it's an Assemblies of God church. So spirit-filled, more like charismatic, if you, if you understand uh, charismatic Christians. So you open these, these Baptist doors, and we walk in, and all the lights are on, but they're dim like this. And the worship is playing. And so I walk in there, and I immediately felt rushed with the presence of God. Fills the room. A few minutes later, we're up literally on the stage, and all of us are weeping. Was there five of us, Joel? Something like that. There's four or five of us. We're all crying on the altar. And, and, and maybe 20 minutes goes by, and I stand up, and I make my way out of the sanctuary. The problem is, is now the sanctuary doors are all propped open. And I walk out into the foyer, and there's a lady sitting there, and she stands up really quickly. She said, she said, we didn't want to disturb you, gentlemen, but how in the world did you get in here? I started stuttering. I said, well, we looked, you know, we looked to ask for permission, but we, we seen the sanctuary is open, so we kind of helped ourselves in. Uh, we're in town because this event was going on, this, this anniversary. And she says, you guys shouldn't have been in here. Um, I have no idea how these doors were open, like you say. I said, not only was it open, it was propped open. And she said, I literally just got here, and I'm the one who opened up this building. And, and I just felt the Lord inviting me to believe him for once again. Can he do it? Not only can he do it, he wants to do it. But you know what he also wants? He wants a company of people to get together to believe him for one of the greatest awakenings that the world has ever seen. And we need it. We're in desperate need of it. Come on, does anybody believe that with me? Thirdly, Jacob, in spite of what he was going through, he remained committed. Somebody say committed. committed. Joseph had plenty of reasons to give up, and maybe you do too. Trial after trial, disappointment after disappointment, yet he remained committed to God no matter what in the midst of his loss, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his heartache. And listen, anybody who calls themselves a believer, if you're over five years old, your commitment will be tested. You will find out that this world will hand you discouragement. You will at one point come to the place where you ask yourself, where is God in what I'm facing? Where is God in this sickness? Where is God in this loss that I've just gone through? Where is God in this circumstance that I'm facing? Where is God in our country? Have we heard that question? Where is God? Why, why isn't he showing up? Can I tell you, it's so important to remain committed to the basic principles of Scripture even when you don't feel like it. Come on, we as Christians, we have to, we have to put, put away the milk and we have to feed on some meaty words. Like, we have to do the right thing even though we don't feel like it. Amen? Stay committed to God no matter what we feel like. Pray even though we don't feel like it. Lead worship when we don't feel like it. Preach when we don't feel like it. Come to church when we don't feel like it. Come on, tell God how good he is even though we don't feel like it. Even though our circumstances say God is not good because your circumstances will lie to you. Circumstances 
are always changing. But can I tell you what never changes? The goodness of God. So no matter what you're going through, God is still good. God is still good. Look at somebody and tap them a little bit. Come on, you can do it kind of with the back of your hand if they don't want you to touch them. Say, God is still good. <laughs> Come on, nudge them with an elbow. Don't hurt them too much. Say, God is still good. It's important that we remain, remain committed. And Joseph could have jumped off the ship. He could have went overboard. But if he would have abandoned, if he would have ran from the pain that he was going through, he also would have abandoned the promises of God in his life. And this, this is where the enemy gets really sneaky, Angelique. He will get us to forfeit in our seasons of pain, not realizing. That, let, me, let me just show you something. Do you remember when we were reading in the book of Genesis how Joseph, there was a man who told Joseph where to go find his brothers? Did you catch that? It slipped in there. There was a man that he met on the way. This is a stranger. How does he know where my brothers are feeding flocks? This man, I believe, was sent from the Lord to point Joseph to his season of pain. Because God knew that that was the very vehicle that would get Joseph to the palace. I'm not saying that God has orchestrated your loss. But what I am saying is that sometimes the pain is the very thing that will become the vehicle that brings you to your palace. Whatever your palace is, to your freedom from addiction. To, you, to your blessing in your marriage, to your job, to whatever it might be. Maybe the pain that we're going in and, and, and find ourselves in, excuse me, and we're going through in America is the very vehicle that's going to bring revival. Come on, that's going to bring another great spiritual awakening. So when you do the right thing in spite of how it feels, that is what brings the blessings of God. Stand to your feet. I'm done, but I'm not done. I want to remind you as we close today that, that God's pain is a purposeful pain. It's purposeful. In other words, God doesn't waste anything. He works out some things for the good. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He works out everything, every pain, heartache, whatever it is that you're going through. Everything that's happening in America, he's turn it, turning it for our good. You know you didn't come to Jesus because everything was great. We came to Christ because he became the answer and the vehicle out of our pain. And God's pain is pur purposeful. Somebody say purposeful. I want, I want to read you a scripture and then we're going to worship. And we're going to just see what the Lord wants to do. We're not going to force anything, but we can linger in his presence just to give him room Look at somebody and say, give him room. I want to read this verse of scripture in Genesis chapter 41, verse 46 through 52. It's not as lengthy. It's a small paragraph. And this, this is after Joseph went from being enslaved to being lied on and going to prison, being hurt, being rejected. This is the end of his life. This is nearing the end when he, the Lord blesses him with a family and he begins to see prosperity and heartache is in his past. I want, I, want you to, I want you to see this. And I believe it will relate to your situation. It will relate to where we are as a nation. It says this in Genesis 41, 46 through 52. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all of the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. And so he gathered up all the food of the seven years that were in the land of Egypt and laid up food in the cities. And he laid up every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. And Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting. For it was immeasurable. Somebody say, that's a lot. And to Joseph were born, watch this, this is why I'm here, right here, this last verse. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. Asenath, the daughter from Asenath, the daughter of Potipharia, priest of On, bore him two sons. Joseph called the name of the firstborn, now watch this, Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. In the name of the second son, he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He'll cause you to be fruitful in your land of affliction. Don't resist it. Don't fight. Because God's, his pain that he allows is purposeful. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.